The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Catholic Spirituality on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Father Herman Fleece, and in this episode I'm joined by our guest, Father Nicolás Desposito, professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary. Thank you for joining us, Father. Hello, nice to be back. In this episode we're going to continue our study of the book The Theology of Christian Perfection by the Dominican theologian Antonio Rochamarín. The second chapter of the book is entitled Sanctifying Grace. That's right. We're going to see what sanctifying grace is, its nature, its effects, and also we are going to see what actual grace is. Father, we live in a world which is imbued with naturalism. People generally have the idea that once you die, you go immediately to heaven, regardless of faith, regardless of morals, regardless of your keeping the commandments. Father, what is wrong with this idea? Well, people think that way because of, as you mentioned, the naturalism. Um, there is a forgetfulness or ignorance with regard to the necessity of being elevated to the supernatural order. Uh, in order to be able to enter into heaven, uh, we need... Uh, this uh, elevation on the part of God, which, as the book says, uh, is uh, absolutely gratuitous. There is there is no uh, necessity uh, on the part of God to do this uh, with us. Um, but He has, in His uh, infinite mercy, chosen to elevate our souls to uh, the supernatural order, and this happens through grace. Uh, there is a, an analogy between the natural and the supernatural orders. Remember that grace does not destroy nature. It perfects nature. The supernatural order constitutes a true life for man and has an organism which is similar to the natural vital organism. If we read um, again the last paragraph in the Page 29 of the book, it says, as in the natural order, we can distinguish four basic or fundamental elements in human life, the living subject, the former principle of life, the faculties or powers, and the operations of those faculties. So also we find similar elements in man's supernatural organism. The subject is the soul, the formal principle of the uh, supernatural life is sanctifying grace. The faculties are the infused virtues and the gifts of the Holy Ghost. 
And the operations are the acts of those virtues and gifts. So something to always remember that God is the author of both nature and supernature, and, and therefore we can always see the, the similarities between the two orders and draw the analogy. Of course, there is a an infinite distance between the two orders, um, and we need that elevation, but uh, God is the author of both, and that's important to, to remember. So, sanctifying grace is a formal principle of the supernatural life. That's correct. Formal principle of supernatural life means that sanctifying grace is what gives the human soul this elevation to the supernatural order. It makes it alive supernaturally. And uh, by the way, that's the reason why we call mortal uh, a sin which is uh, great enough to take away sanctifying grace or the principle of supernatural life from our souls. It kills basically the soul in the supernatural order. The human soul is not a complete substance that is, even though it is independent for um, being and operation independent of the body for those things, that's why when we die, the, the soul remains and it can subsist without the body. Uh, but nevertheless, the soul is not a person. The soul is just part of a human person, of a human being. Uh, it is actually the era of Descartes and modern philosophy to consider the human soul as a complete substance and a, as a person. And according to that philosophy, the body is merely accidentally added. Uh, but not the uh, human beings are composed of both matter and form, uh, both of body and soul. And the human soul is the subject of sanctifying grace. That is, this formal principle of life, sanctifying grace, resides in the very uh, essence, is rooted in the very essence of the soul, in a static manner. Uh, the virtues and the gifts of the Holy Ghost reside in the human faculties, that is, the will and the intellect, um, in order to elevate those faculties to the supernatural order. If we go back to what we said in the beginning, about the modern attitude of thinking we are going to heaven no matter what we believe or do. Uh, they basically are saying that we can receive the inheritance of the Father without being the children. And that's not even true in the natural order, how you can receive and claim the right to receive an inheritance if you are not the child of your father. But in order to become the child of God, you must have this principle, former principle, of life in your soul. That's what St. Paul says. We become the children of God, heirs of heaven, uh, with a sanctifying grace, with this elevation to the supernatural order, become adoptive sons of God. So again, um, it doesn't make sense to claim the right to a, a, the inheritance if we do not want to become children of God first. So uh, that's a, the uh, like a corollary of, of of this chapter. Interesting. 
Father, the book gives a definition of sanctifying grace. Could you explain it? Yes, the definition of sanctifying grace given here is the following. A supernatural quality inhering in the soul, which gives us a, a physical and formal participation, although analogous and accidental, in the very nature of God, precisely as God. Um, uh, there is a lot of uh, things here which are difficult and it will take a long time to explain and, and it's not very, I would say, very practical. Uh, the only thing I want to point out is that when we are talking about the physical and, part and formal participation, we shouldn't understand that in the pantheistic way, uh, in the sense that we become God, uh, but um, that we the, the participation in the nature of God is such that uh, we become like God. And so in the, the best uh, possible manner, or the most perfect manner, we can be as God. That's what sanctifying grace is going to, to do for us. Uh, the souls in, in the state of grace, they are united with God through love, a, a love of friendship. So the, a friend uh, imitates uh, uh, the other friend. Uh, because of, of this union. And so, uh, we, if we are in the state of grace, we become like an image of God. So, when, you, when we say that we become as God, we mean that. It's a, like an imitation, like an image of God. No, no one can be God, because He's infinite and perfect, etc. It's only one God. But, uh, here what we are doing is, since we have a, an intellectual nature... Uh, that intellectual nature can be also elevated to uh, the uh, to be like this image, this image of to be like God, so that uh, God is, as we may say, may say, represented the best possible manner in a creature. So again, the um, the perfect image of God is the uh, is uh, God the Son. Uh, but the, if we are talking about a finite participation, a finite manner of being like God, um, this is, or being God, this is uh, through grace. And in the natural order, by being uh, intellectual creatures, we already are participating to a greater, to a greater extent in, in the nature of God, in the sense that we, are, we have uh, similarities with God. God's nature, uh, but the similarities that arrive from being in the state of grace are much, much more uh, great, are great, much greater, uh, and it's important, again, be, because modern thought and, and uh, modern philosophers and even uh, theologians are trying to convince us that when we act as human beings, following our um, the um, inclinations of our liberty and freedom and etc that when when we are perfected as humans we are more like god and and that's basically what um, is important that we become more and more human and that, that in any case that will be a, a natural perfection that would what we try, we have to try to do is to become more and more like god more and more divine and that's only possible through uh, sanctifying grace. So from that definition, that, that's what I wanted 
to point out for more uh, specifics and technical uh, explanation and details, I will prefer that the, um, the listener goes to the book. Father, the author speaks about the effects of sanctifying grace. What are those? Yes, we already have spoken about the, the first and main effect of sanctifying grace, uh, which is to give us a participation in the divine nature. Uh, but this is the, the root, the foundation of all the other effects. Uh, there are three main effects that follow from this. And the first one is that we uh, are made the adopted sons of God. So again, um, we just uh, said uh, that in order to get the inheritance of the Father, you need to be a son. So, of course, we cannot be the, the sons of God by nature. The God has only one son uh, by nature, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, uh, but we can become the adopted sons uh, of God. Um, something that the book notices is that the adoption, when, when God adopts someone, is not a, a merely a legal thing like in human affairs. I will read you the, the a paragraph here that explains that. Uh, it says, Now sanctifying grace confers on us a divine adoption which not only fulfills all these conditions but goes far beyond them. Purely human or legal adoption is ultimately reduced to a legal fiction entirely extrinsic to the nature of the one adopted. It confers on the one adopted before human society the rights of a son, but without infusing in the adopted the blood of the family, and hence without causing any intrinsic change in the nature and personality of the adopted son. On the other hand, on adopting us as his sons, the one and triune God infuses sanctifying grace in us, which gives us a mysterious uh, real and formal participation in the divine nature itself. So you see the, the big difference that uh, the, there is a change here, an intrinsic change um, by which we become the, uh, the, 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 the sons of God and not just a merely uh, name or a legal statement, but a, a real thing is happening here. So um, uh, the book continues, in virtue of this divine infusion, the soul shares in the very life of God. It is a true generation, a spiritual birth, in imitation of natural generation, and it reflects analogically the eternal generation of the Word of God. So, uh, basically, what uh, God is doing here with the created, uh, um, um, cre the, the created um, soul uh, is to imitate what is going on from all eternity, the divine uh, paternity and the divine uh, sonship, etc. Of course, in a limited and finite manner, but an imitation of that outside of God, that is at extra, as the theologians call it. So, um, and uh, by the way, the, the, when God sends the Holy Ghost, uh, like in Pentecost, and when we receive the Holy Ghost together with sanctifying grace, again, God is doing um, the a similar thing, an imitation of what, again, is going on from all eternity in the Trinity, which is the possession of the Holy Ghost from the Father 
and the Son. Um, uh, in the first epistle of St. John, it says, Behold with what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. So, something um, to think about, to meditate, is the, the, so much uh, mercy he, uh, God has shown that uh, without any necessity or merit on our part, uh, He uh, not only created us out of nothing, but He has called us to uh, be the um, adopted uh, children of God. That's the first effect. The second effect follows from this, um, and is that the grace makes us true heirs of God. And so the inheritance, of course, is the, the, uh, this um, uh, eternal happiness with the Father in heaven. Uh, if we are sons, we are heirs also, says St. Paul. So um, the third effect is that grace makes us brothers and co-heirs with Christ. So again, it, this follows from the uh, from the other two effects that we just mentioned, and Saint Augustine says that um, he who says "Our Father" to the Father of Christ, um, what shall he say to Christ but brother? So we become the brothers of Christ, who is the second person of the Blessed um, uh, Trinity, and uh, you can see again having this brother, um, we are going to. Uh, increase our confidence, our trust in God, that He will protect us as, a, as a, in the natural order. A, a, a big brother will protect the the younger brothers, and uh, so we have all. The, we become part of the family of God. Notice that that uh, how merciful God is, uh, a finite creature, even a sinful creature that has, uh, um, because of his uh, uh, bad use of his liberty. Many times has offended him, and uh, you, you count original sin, our actual sins, etc. Uh, but still, there is this Father that wants us to become adopted sons through grace, and wants to give us uh, the eternal inheritance, and, wants, and offers us the, this brother uh, Christ, uh, etc. So again, many many points of meditation here, especially to think and thank God for. Uh, so many blessings. Um, the book goes on and gives other effects, uh, which will uh, will be secondary, comparing with the, the three that we just mentioned. For example, grace gives us supernatural life. And we already talked about that, that um, this, uh, this elevation to a different elevated um, order, um, uh, the order of God, basically, to do... Uh, that God shares with us this divine life. Grace makes us just and pleasing to God. That's another effect. And this is um, <clears throat> as a physical participation in the divine nature, grace necessarily gives us a sharing in the divine justice and sanctity, uh, since all the attributes of God are really identified with, with His own essence. So, uh, sanctifying grace is absolutely incompatible with mortal sin. A mortal sin presupposes the privation of justice, the privation of sanctity uh, is basically the death of the soul. 
so grace makes us just, pleasing to God, um, and uh, and and of course uh, the, again we have to do everything possible in order to have the attitude of dying uh, before um, consenting to a one single mortal sin. Um, again, grace is what makes us pleasing to God. Another effect is that grace gives us the capacity for supernatural merit. Again, the uh, naturalism, as we have already said, confuses the two orders, and uh, either they think that you can merit uh, heaven through natural works of virtue, uh, or uh, that uh, God is uh, like obliged to give us happiness somehow, uh, but not. In order to really merit heaven, we must have uh, sanctifying grace. If you are in the state of sin, um, you cannot merit uh, anything for heaven. Um, and even if you think, oh, if I am naturally good, I will merit receiving grace. No, you cannot merit grace because grace itself is a principle of merit. So whatever natural goodness you may have, that again doesn't do anything for you as far as the meriting um, supernatural um, things, and especially heaven and, and the happiness of, 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 uh, of the afterlife. Uh, but you must have absolutely necessary the condition is sanctifying grace uh, and by the way how important it is the virtue of faith uh, sanctifying grace cannot be had without the virtue of faith so it's important to understand that when you're especially an, an adult uh, the baby is different he receives all the virtues and gifts of the holy ghost uh, at baptism he doesn't need to uh, to do an act of uh, reason and acceptance of all the doctrines of the church, because again, he cannot do that. Uh, but an adult, uh, he must accept all the things that the church teaches. He must have the faith before uh, receiving baptism. That's why you had the um, cat the catechumens and one year of uh, in the past of uh, this uh, catechumenate in which the, the, the Christians were taught uh, the faith and, and not only one day knew the the doctrine of the of the church uh, they were baptized and um, so faith uh, presupposing that that when you're an adult you need to have the faith in order to be able to receive baptism and sanctifying grace um, so the uh, the seventh effect is grace unites us intimately with God we become here a, a, a personal relationship with God begins and Again, it's important that, that to understand that uh, uh, God is not like a distant uh, being that uh, forgets about us. That's uh, the year of uh, deism. Uh, no, he's, uh, God is close to us when we are in the state of grace again. And um, there is an intimate relationship uh, of, of God uh, giving us everything we need, uh, protecting us, uh, making sure that things, all the things, even bad things, uh, suffering and the cross, all of those things um, are actually work for our own good. And again, this, all of this comes from grace. It's important. All, all of this is an effect of grace. And the eighth is secondary effect that the author gives is that grace makes us living temples of the Trinity. 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and will make our abode with him. So, um, we are going to speak about the indwelling of the Trinity um, very soon, in other, in the, I think in the next, next uh, epi episode, uh, but you can see the, again, how important in the spiritual life sanctifying grace is, that it makes us the living temples of the Trinity. If you are a temple of the Trinity, you are going to make sure that you do not offend that Trinity is like desecrating a church, uh, desecrating a temple. So this moves the soul naturally to be really careful with regard to uh, avoiding sin and occasions of sin and being uh, generous and docile to the inspirations of God, etc. All of this is, uh, are effects of this wonderful gift that God has created for us, sanctifying grace. That's certainly something to meditate about, Father. Now, we've gotten to the last section of this chapter, which is devoted to actual grace. Could you explain to our listeners what is an actual grace? Sure. If you go to, the, uh, to page 41 of the book, it gives the, the nature of actual grace. It says, actual graces may be defined as those which dispose or move in a transient manner, for doing or receiving something in regard to eternal life. And, and then you, you can see that the big difference there is that um, the actual grace is, uh, uh, is a transient thing. It's not habitual. It's, you don't have that all the time. But God gives it in certain moments, in certain circumstances, and um, in, in order that we do something uh, or receive something that will help us uh, in our uh, meriting eternal life. Actual graces are absolutely necessary uh, in order to do uh, anything in the, in the supernatural order. Even if we have uh, sanctifying grace and these infused virtues and gifts of the Holy Ghost, etc., in order that those virtues, uh, those infused habits that we have, uh, be put into operation, uh, actual grace is absolutely necessary. Again, because uh, if you say that you can put those things into into action, into operation, just with your natural powers, I mean that that's uh, it's, it, those two things are of different orders. So even in order to uh, practice a virtue, for example, if you are in the state of grace, you have all of the um, of the infused virtues. Uh, you have the theological virtues, faith, hope, charity, and the moral virtues, etc. Um, yes, you have those as habits, but in order to put them into operation, for example, you say, I will make an act of faith or an act of charity, or I will practice humility or um, things like that, you need to be, act to be moved by God in order to do that. So you see how important actual graces are. We do not think about, about uh, those things or in those terms. Uh, we don't think that um, we need to be moved by God uh, as it may, uh, all the time, in order to even to put into into operation, into action, those things that we already have. But that's that. I mean, it's impossible uh, without the God's movement to do anything uh, in the in the supernatural order. In the same way that it is impossible to do anything in the natural order 
without the natural movement of God. I mean, God creates us and he preserves us into existence. <clears throat> if God were to, uh, for one reason or another, don't think about us anymore, uh, uh, we would cease to exist. I mean, he has to be preserving us all the time in, in existence. Um, and we cannot do that, of course, uh, uh, just um, by our own power. Same thing, I mean, analogically, with the supernatural, and for a greater reason, in the supernatural order. Uh, even if you are, uh, you have the, the habits, uh, the entitative habit of, of sanctifying grace, and the operative habits of uh, the virtues and gifts, in order to use those things, you need uh, actual graces. And the book, by the way, this book is meant to be used in the Dominican religious houses. It's very technical, it has a lot of uh, philosophy and, and presupposes a lot of knowledge, and we cannot go into much detail here in this, sh in this show. Uh, for example, here in the division of actual grace, the author gives all of the distinctions which are a little complicated. We are going just to mention uh, one of the distinctions because at the end the, the author says that all of the other uh, divisions will um, be reduced to this first division and it's between operating grace and cooperating uh, grace. It says operating grace is that in which the movements, um, the movement is attributed only to God. The soul is moved, but does not move itself. So that's operating grace. And cooperating grace is that in which the soul is moved and moves at the same time. So that's the word, the, the word cooperation. That is, we, we also have certain activity. We, we moved at the same time that God move, is moving us. And by the way, this comes from the doctrine of St. Augustine and St. Thomas. Um, so, uh, actual graces have three functions. First, to dispose the soul for the reception of the infused habits of sanctifying grace and the virtues, to actuate these infused habits, and to prevent their loss. So, when we say that the, the, first, the first of the functions, to dispose uh, the soul for the reception of, basically, grace and the, the virtues. Uh, this happens if you are, uh, just give an example, in the state of mortal sin. Um, uh, as we said before, you cannot go to the next step, like to um, either thinking about going to confession, even that thought will be, a, you will be moved by God to do that. He will inspire you in a way um, that, that in order that you do that, um, and go to confession and receive grace, or, or even the baby which is born, and by a, uh, a grace of God, uh, he gets baptism. Uh, so uh, the, the, the baby, of course, couldn't ask for it, uh, or it didn't depend on him or his own anything that he could do. But the same thing with adults. Even if you um, this can also be applied when you are not a Catholic, for example, and the, the movements, the inspirations of God, that in order that you learn the true faith, in order that you um, uh, ask for uh, being taught the catechism and uh, being converted to the, the tra traditional Catholic faith, all of those things are 
actual graces. You, you cannot call them habitual graces because you still don't have that. But God moves you through many, many graces, disposing you for reception of the reception of grace and the, the, the virtues. So that's the first of the functions. Uh, the second of the functions, it says... Uh, to actuate these infused habits. So when you have, as we said before, you have grace and the virtues uh, in order to put them into operation so that they don't remain inactive, you need to be moved by God. And simple is clear about that. He says even to have a good thought uh, is a grace of God. I mean, it comes from God. We, it, it doesn't come from us. We may think that it comes from us, but uh, in fact, it's God moving us. And, and the third of those uh, functions is to prevent their loss. So by an, many times, temptations that uh, come to us, uh, our own weakness, our own past sins, etc. many things that, that, that will put um, into risk uh, losing sanctifying grace. I mean, we need actual graces uh, that come from God in order to preserve the sanctifying grace and the infused virtues. Again, all of those things come from actual graces. You can see how important, again, is to um, uh, to be faithful to actual grace. The things that we're going to see in this book, the, the different practices and, uh, that uh, of piety and spiritual duties, such as the examination of conscience, the saying the rosary every day, spiritual reading, meditation, reception of the sacraments, uh, things like that. All of those things are really, really important so that we are attentive, so that we are disposed to receive um, or, or to accept, let's say, and then to be moved by those actual graces. If we are distracted and careless and mediocre in our spiritual life, God may be giving all of these actual graces, but we put obstacles to them. And that happens all the time without us thinking. Um, God may be inspiring us to do many, many good things in the uh, and uh, in this supernatural order. And if we are not attentive, if we do not keep the the our uh, spiritual exercises going, we become weak and unresponsive with regard to those actual graces. So that's I will say the practical importance of understanding how grace works, the actual grace and sanctifying grace. Uh, yes, it's God moving us, but He cannot move us unless um, we are we want to be moved or we dispose ourselves or we accept that movement uh, on the part of God. Because God doesn't want to um, uh, violate, violate uh, our uh, freedom. So He wants to work with us. He wants us to to merit heaven, you cannot have merit without liberty, without human liberty. So God wants us to merit heaven, uh, and He gives us all the, the means and possibilities and that we um, that we need in order to do that. But again, if we put obstacles to grace, um, God cannot, in a way. Uh, cannot do anything. I mean, he, of course, can give a special, extraordinary grace for conversion, but remember, he's not obliged. And the very fact that that's uh, exceptional and special, it means that most probably he will not give that to you. 
It is evident, says the author of the book, that actual grace is a priceless treasure. It gives efficacy to sanctifying grace and the infused virtues and gifts. It is the impulse of God which places our supernatural organism in operation and prevents us from forgetting that our soul in the state of grace is the temple of the Blessed Trinity. So, um, that's the end of, 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 this, uh, of this chapter on sanctifying grace. Uh, again, I hope uh, that the listeners uh, understand and, uh, the importance of grace, both uh, habitual and, um, and actual, so that uh, this information uh, helps them in the, in the practical order. Our spiritual lives are, are so important, and we have so little time on this earth that um, uh, knowing this and putting the, the, uh, this knowledge into, into practice and into to practical resolutions in our daily life, uh, our sanctification may depend on that. And it's time for, um, uh, if we have been a little bit uh, negligent in, in our spiritual life, our spiritual duties, uh, it's time to uh, reflect and rec reconsider and... And try to be a little more faithful to grace. Again, remember that God is always trying to push us and inspire us to do the right thing. But He cannot do anything without our uh, cooperation. So that's very important. Thank you for having joined us today, Father. My pleasure, as always. I hope you enjoyed the show. Next episode, we will speak about the indwelling of the Holy Trinity in the soul of the just, which is the third chapter of Roger Marin's book, The Theology of Christian Perfection. Thank you. If you have any questions for Father Disposito or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholicspirituality at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions and comments to Father Disposito. We would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.